I'm going to read from, from Fanny Says tonight. And like Doug said, uh, Fanny Says is a, is a book about my grandmother. And just to give you a, a, a little bit of background, I'm short. Am I that short? <laughs> is that better? Is that better? Um, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Fanny uh, raised me. And my, my mama had me when she was about 16. And my mother was um, the youngest girl of Fanny's seven children. And so when my mother had me, I was just sort of folded in among all of the other kids. It was funny, I was at the 88 restaurant yesterday and there was a group of students at a table next to me and they, they came up to me and they're like, you know, you were sitting there by yourself and we were saying your name and you didn't look up once. And I was like, well, because in my family, as long as a skillet wasn't like flying towards your head or a knife and something dangerous, you just let the sound just roll on by. You just unfocus your ears. And it's my low level superpower. But uh, there, were, there, was, there was nobody quite like Fanny. There was nobody quite like my grandmother. If she were to pull up this evening, she would pull up in her white Cadillac Eldorado, and it was about as long as this auditorium here with the, the fins, you know? And it had red leather, atomic, atomic red leather seats and she'd pull out the factory mats and put down shag carpeting. Yeah, like this was her car. And she was a little woman. You think I'm short. She, she was, you know, she was probably about, God, maybe, maybe five feet. But she would wake up every morning and she would put on her false eyelashes. She would put on her Fredericks of Hollywood push-up bra. She would put on her wiglet. And I don't know if y'all know what a wiglet is. It's not a wig, but it's a little wig dyed to match your hair, and she, you know what it is. He's nodding. Yeah, you put it on top, and then you kind of tease your hair into it. So she would have been taller than me when she was done. <laughs> this is what you need to know. And she also had a, a particular way of talking. And so I'm going to start by letting you hear her voice. I want you to hear what, what she sounded like. So this first piece is a collage of advice that I got as a young woman growing up, and maybe you'll understand some things about me, such as Doug asking my age earlier. Um, and this is called Fanny Says How to Be a Lady. So once again, this is her voice, not mine. I didn't write these, I just wrote them down. So Fanny Says How to Be a Lady. Number one. Never tell your age. If under cardiac arrest and the ambulance comes, the paramedic will ask lots of questions. The city you live in, the president, your last name. Answer him best you can, but if he asks the year you were born, say, you're the doctor here. If you're so fucking smart, why don't you tell me how old I am? <laughs> <laughs> Two, watch your reputation close. Remember, if you lie down with dogs, you'll come up with fleas and no man will buy a cow if he gets the milk for free. Now, if you need a husband, put on a pair of pants. 
tight now so it shows your rump and get a little chain to walk that dog. Go on to that fire station and walk past. Now, those firemen are gonna notice you and whoop and holler, but don't you pay them no mind. You just keep walking with your head held high. By the fourth or fifth time you walk past, one of them's gonna say, well, I'm going outside to talk to that hoe. And that's just what he'll say, but I'm sure he'll learn right different soon enough. And then it'll be all she wrote. So you guys, anybody need a husband, fire station, tight pants, leash, and a dog. Three, take it easy. Keep your feet up and don't carry nothing heavy unless you want your uterus to fall out on the hot sidewalk. <laughs> and if you lift weights, you'll lose your perky breasts. You won't be left with a titty one. Trust your grandmama. Stay away from the gym, because like I say, I don't believe in exercise, no, not one bit. I haven't exercised a bit since I've been here. It's been awesome. <laughs> Four. Don't fool with the boy with no home training. If he pulls in front of the house and lays on the horn, don't you answer. You ain't no whore. He needs to come to the front door proper and knock. And when you get to his car, Grandma will be watching to see if he opens the passenger side. If not, you stand still. Let him jump in alone. Soon enough, he'll notice you're not in the car and come around to open your door. <laughs> I mean it, I'll be watching, and if you so much as touch that handle, I'm coming out to whoop your ass. <laughs> a man will respect you once you've earned it. Start a puppy early and he won't pull the leash. <laughs> I'm glad you all appreciate it. I can't tell you how many times I would get to the car with a date or whatever, be like, open my door, my grandmother is watching. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna end uh, this piece with, with one little last piece of advice, and uh, she, I, I lost her in 2004, and uh, at the time she was, she was down in Florida, so she raised me in Kentucky, that's where she was from, and she, she had moved to Florida at the end of her life, and she was in this little condo, and, uh, was was in bed. She was in, in hospice by then, and I was uh, going out to catch a cab. It was going to take me to the Fort Lauderdale airport, and she was screaming at me, as always. And I wrote this down when I got in the car, and she said, "Be mean and fight for it. That's the only way it will ever come to you. Remember what Grandma tells you. People will only take." what you let them, and you hold that head back and walk straight. You understand? Be mean. Fight for it. Hold that head back. Walk straight. You remember what I tell you. You remember, won't you? So since I didn't send anybody running, I'll just jump right into this next uh, poem here. It's called Fuck. <laughs> there have been audiences where I just decided to skip this poem entirely. 
is what she said. But what mattered was the tone. Not a drive-by spondy and never the fricative connotation as verb, but from her mouth, vowed, often preceded by well, with the you low as if dipping up homemade ice cream, waiting to be served last so she'd scoop the fruit from the bottom where all the good stuff had settled down. Imagine, not a word cold cocked or screwed to the wall, but something almost resigned, a sigh, an oh well, the F word made so fat and slow it was basset hound, chunky with an extra syllable, just enough weight to make a jab to the ribs more of a shoulder shrug. Think of what's done to shit in the South. This is she it, but flicked with a whip, made a little more tart. Well, fuck, Betty Sue. I never did see that coming. Can you believe? Or my favorite, not as explicative, but noun. Fucker, she said. But what she meant was darling, sugar pie, sweet beets, a curse word made into a term of endearment, as in, come here, you little fucker, and give your grandma a kiss. <laughs> I knew I had found my people. <laughs> Come here, you little fucker, and give your grandma a kiss. If the child was young enough for diapers, he'd still be a shit ass, but big enough to lift his arms and touch his hands together over his toddling toe head. He was so big, all grown, a cute little fucker. Watch him go. <laughs> Fuck is what she said, but what she needed was a drum, a percussion to beat story into song the chisel to tap honey from the meanest rock. Not just fuck if I know, or fuck me running, or fuck me sideways, or beats the fuck out of me, but said tender, knowing there was only one thing in this whole world you needed to hear most. You fucker, you. Don't you know there wasn't a day when you weren't loved? If you still don't understand, Try this, a woman up from poor soil, bad dirt, pure clay, a woman as succulent, something used to precious little water, hard sun, rock crop maybe, threading roots to suck nutrients from the nothing of gravel, the nothing of stone, a thriving thing, sturdy, thorned, green, out of mere spite, and because you least expect it, laughing, cussing up a storm. My grandmother, who didn't ask for power, but took it in bright, full, fuck it all bloom. So, Fanny grew up in. Uh, in Bowling Green, which is in Western Kentucky, during the Depression. And uh, even though I, I certainly did not know how old she was, uh, 
<laughs> I do know that she married when she uh, was 15 years old, uh, which wasn't so uncommon for a woman of, of her generation in that place. And uh, I do know that my grandfather, um, who, was, who was older, uh, took her to see Snow White when it was in the movie theater. And I just love to think that. Um, and this is about that time. It's called Your Monthly. Your Monthly is what her mama called it. But what I want is a word for the year she bled freely. A wad of old wash rags, each end pinned to a belt around her waist. A word for 12 happy deaths. Each unfertilized cell that washed out saying, not yet, Fanny, you still just a child yourself. Because this world knows a girl of 14's too old to be playing cowboys and Indians but also knows how young she was when, stiff red feather in her hair, she scrambled inside, hollering, Mama, come quick, I'm about to bleed to death. A word for the year she learned to walk in red shoes pulled from some rich lady's trash. The sound of those heels down the hall, two guns cocking with quick clicks. It's a sound to hide from her daddy in the morning, eating his breakfast of milk and corn pone with a spoon. A word for the time before a man swaggered in, bought her a dime store Coke, bought her her very first bra, then took her to the picture show to see a cartoon with drawers impossibly happy to be working the mines. <laughs> a year later, she was expecting. Though what exactly I was expecting, she told me, I couldn't have said. A word, please, somebody, give me. For that season with her uterus, small and tight as an inedible green pear, her body keening and cramped, in its stall. A word for all things not yet stretched to bits. A word for all things not yet broken. A word for all things left unbroken. A word for breakable yet unbroken things. A word for unbroken expectant things. Tell me, what is that word? Oh, y'all quiet now. <laughs> so, um, I found that when I was writing Fanny's story that um, it was too big. Uh, there, there, were, there were too many stories, there were too many different uh, facets of her life and complications and contradictions um, that, I, that I quickly became really overwhelmed by it. Um, and one of the things I, I did find that uh, I could write about was her artifacts, her, her totem objects, so to speak. And she was a very particular woman, as you might imagine. She only drank Pepsi. 
Uh, she would only cook uh, with Crisco. There's no such thing as vegetable or olive oil. What, what is that? Um, she dyed her hair the exact same color ever since she was 40 years old, sweet silver, Clairol. So I could, I could research those things and write about those things and find a way in, which was very, very helpful for me. And this next poem, it's, it's, a, it's a longer poem. It's in five parts, and it's about Clorox. Um, I don't know if you have any uh, family members that, that really like to bleach stuff and believe in the power of bleach, but she surely did. Um, so, Clorox. Number one, a noun, as in a commercial disinfecting agent, but also a verb, an action to make the water grow teeth. Tiny, crystalline, color-eating teeth, making the water capable, bringing red to its knees. Your ox blood tea, now the color of nipples. Your salsa hot dress, neutered cheap carnation pink. All our deepest purple, a sad dry rot brown. A complete sentence might read, careful now, or Fanny's gonna Clorox the shit out of your clothes. You and I know she burns through a bottle a week. But more likely you'd hear, child, you looking like some trash. Give your grandma that dinge. I don't care if you ain't got a dime. I told you a hundred and one times, soap's cheap. Two. A noun, but also a verb, as in to Clorox. To Clorox that carny tub and toilet, to Clorox the chicken grease backsplash and hand smudge light switch, as in to Clorox the cup Donison drank from when he visited up from Miami to smoke cigarettes and try not to say goodbye. Even at six, I could see the Kaposi sarcoma too big for the joy of the violet scarf spangled round his neck. He was one of the boys she took in, raised right alongside her own. But when he left, she Cloroxed that cup twice, then threw it out. Three, a smell. Wealth sweetened with a little zip, a salty tang, a bright chlorine rising up to say, it's all right now, put your babies in water wings, let them splash in. Because this ain't nothing like that piss yellow swimming hole sick with infantigo. This ain't nothing like Bowling Green where the only time she let herself get dunked was to be baptized in that mud-bottom river named Barren. Come, this water is modern. This water is amnesiac with no memory of leathery eggs of cotton mouths hatching in its bank or catfish whiskering the holes below. Hell, this water can't even remember common spiders that once straddled its surface walking impossible as Christ himself. Four, an agent manufactured specifically to break the chemical bonds of color, 
as in to Clorox the tub white and the toilet whiter, as in to Clorox the tile white and the grout whiter, as in to blanch a house a hundred shades of white. Antique lace swallows and cloud trim, the unforgiving stark of Formica cabinets and counters, the sleepy snow sheets and shag rugs, the bone leather sofa and matching chairs, the take off your shoes or Fanny's gonna whoop your ass, wall to wall, white carpet, white enough to put Elvis's living room to shame. Everything brand and spanking and new, everything white because you know and I know other people are lazy and buy dark colors to hide dirt, but you know my house is clean by looking. Her house white as a baby's bottom, white as the pure driven, so white she kept a black maid six days a week to keep it so. Now Bernie, she'd fuss, we got to Clorox that damn floor. Those boys clomped through here, look at those tracks right across my clean white rug. And so Bernie May put down her coffee in without gloves, Clorox did all over again. Five. A formula genius in design. With high reactivity and instability, it works quick, then disappears, almost as if it had never been there at all. Blow up, blow out, blow over, she'd say, after he took the safety off his jigsaw with a hammer, after he tried to fix the broken head of a sprinkler with a hammer, after he ran the hood of his pickup through her carport again. He knocked us into chairs and into closets and down the stairs, and if you tried to stand before he was done, he'd knock you back again. You see, me and Monroe, well, me and all my kids, we were natural. We'd fuss and fight and holler and make up by supper time. Ain't no sense in holding it in and damn well ain't no sense in dragging it out again. Reader, listen, you got bad water from the well. We all do one time or another. Just splash a little Clorox in and wait and not too long. This is a poison that works quick, then is gone. This is a poison she saw fit enough for us, for all of us, to drink. <clears throat> so, I'm going to move ahead to the uh, end of the book. Um, And like I said, I, I, uh, I lost her in 2004, and it is it's no understatement to say that those last few months when I went down and uh, she was in bed and, and all she had left was talk was some of the best days of my life. We had so much fun, you wouldn't believe it. Um, 
And I know that doesn't make sense, but we, we did. Um, the title of this next poem is, is Flitter. And I do want you to know that I'm doing a bit of a, a search for my family. We didn't exactly keep good records of our family in the house. But I have noticed that when I read this poem, that I am finding people whose family use flitter in the same way in which my family used the word. So you have to let me know. We're going to figure out how we're related. I found a couple people in uh, Alabama and a ton in Lexington, which makes sense. So, flitter is what she said, but what she meant had nothing to do with the lighting from one bloom to the next by a monarch or an equally colorful diva at the bar. What she meant was your privates, your girly parts, something you better soap up daily and watch like a spectacled hawk. It was code, really, a kid-friendly word like every Christ-fearing family has, something to sidestep the gynecological genitals in its speculum-chilled vagina, something that wasn't her sex, a word that said Colette, both verb and noun, exhaling the same thin, gentlewoman cigar. Hers was a word rated PG, something that wasn't once an innocent kitty in boots that now swung practically buck naked from a pole and never do you hear flitter in any bass thumping salt and pepper my mango vajayjay songs. <laughs> no, flitter is lyrical but awkward. Despite its featherweight meaning, it never does fly. What kept it alive was that F sound, slightly transgressive, ready to leap off the four-letter cliff, but more so it echoed with fat and flat, the two qualities of a flitter Fanny found. A baby girl, for example, was always born with a fat flitter, and that's exactly what she would be called. And then there was fat as a flitter, applying to cute, chunky things like chipmunk cheeks and toddler's wrists and puppy dogs. So glad I got you back. <laughs> then of course there was flat, a more mature version of the same, and if you did enough crunches, yes, your belly would be flat as a flitter. The similes can go on as carbonated beverages can go flat as a flitter, as can your hair on a humid day, and if you drive west, all that land you got it, flitter flat. <laughs> My favorite times with the word were the last days we had her, when she needed oxygen and ice chips and kept death backed into a corner by calling me a flitterhead. I swore I didn't have her remote and she didn't believe me until she found it under the covers between her legs. She changed the channel, said, Okay, Flitterhead, I'm sorry. Right there was the clicker right under my flitter. Who would have thought? <laughs> and when it was time to change her, to wipe off the blackest stool with a warm cloth, she kept me from deep sorrow by saying, make sure to hit my bald flitter now. Nobody tells you every hair falls out down there as you age and hit it with a dose of powder, Koei. 
Grandma's got to stay fresh. <laughs> I cleaned her as I would a baby, turning her best I could from side to side. And later, when I tired, I called in the nurse to help me hold her so I could change the sheets. The nurse was from an island not far from Florida, but far enough that when our work was done, she stopped me, asked, I'm sorry, your grandmother, I can't understand her. Can you tell me what language she speaks? <laughs> that was when I knew. I wasn't losing my grandmother, no. I was losing my home, the one place I could understand the world through a mother tongue only she could sing. regrets that I have in this life is that I didn't, I didn't come out until after my grandmother had died. And um, I think the conversation would have went something, I would call called her and I would have said, you know, Fanny, I'm in love with the woman. And then she would have given me hell. I, th I think that's how it would have gone. But I also know in my heart that she she would have come around, you know, it, you know. My wife is a, a health fanatic. She's always running. She's uh, she, she's, she's gluten free. She's you know. She would be eating fried chicken at Fanny's house on a regular basis, <laughs> fried in Crisco like this, I believe. Um, so I wrote this poem. This is actually the the last poem that I wrote. Uh, in the manuscript, and the, and the manuscript was actually finished and was at BOA, um, but I got married, and I felt like it wasn't in the book. And so this is called An Invitation for My Grandmother, and it opens with an epigraph by Marian Moore, and one of my favorite poets, and it, it's from a poem called What Are Years? And the, the lines I took from her poem is, Satisfaction is a lonely thing. How pure a thing is joy. This is mortality. This is eternity. So, an invitation for my grandmother. When mama called to say you were gone, I was in New York and climbed the impossible top of a brownstone to talk myself down. Don't get sentimental. Dying is what grandmothers do, was what I told myself. But what I should have done was invite you there with me. You'd never been further north than Cincinnati and the view, the spatter and fleck of all those lights you'd have to see to believe. So now that you're on the other side and got your knees working again, a proposition. Come, lace up your kids, walk with me a while. I won't say the world's better, it's not. Since you left, I've seen a pelican stretch her wings to dry, the dripping petrol making her into a bent crucifix of oil. And the penguins have dropped their proud eggs into melted ice. In this spring, 
Yet another wind bulldozed my neighbors, all their homes raised to slab foundation, their trees now splintered bone. But we can take a train out of here. Come, sit next to me. Because out the window, a girl on a horse jumps a junkyard fence. She wears a shirt the color of poppies, a bright soda cans. And I bet you'll agree, blurred, it is a brown pony with red wings. And three years ago, can I take you there? My sister, sitting up during the <coughs> contraction, how she reached inside herself to touch the crown of her son, not yet born. I want to show you the look on her face in that cord cut, a rich earth of blood, a thick black joy. And please, take off your shoes now. Stand with me last October when I took a wife barefoot in the grass. We made our vows, and after when she held my jaw with both hands, I could feel the bones of my skull rising up to make a face finally seen. <clears throat> I think I'll just read one more poem, and this is actually a, a new poem. Uh, it's the only thing I've written since the election, uh, which I, I think, like a lot of people, there's been a lot of sleepless nights uh, and a lot of not knowing what to say. Um, this is called Trump's Tic Tacs. Of course, this is not a part of the manuscript, but this is, this is a new poem. Um, and it opens with a, a quote uh, by our president-elect when he said, I gotta use some Tic Tacs just in case I just start kissing them. I don't even wait. Trump's Tic Tacs. The night after my country loaded you into its chamber and cocked that long gun aimed straight for my home. My wife and I were stuck in a nearly dystopian line of unmoving traffic. And because sugar comforts her, she popped those half-calorie candies into her mouth and was bound to eat the whole box herself until she shook out from that hard plastic case the orange ones, just for me. You see, Donald, this good woman, she loves me. And she knows how the taste of artificial orange makes me feel safe. Makes me remember fevers broken by the chalk tangerine of baby aspirin. Cool rags upon me and a soft knock on my door saying, baby, don't get up. Mama's just checking on you again. That was back when another man, not so unlike you, was insecure enough to also think it best to freshen himself before grabbing at me. And to this day, I don't remember much except, don't worry, I took a shower 
It's clean. Donald, the news coming through the radio made me sick. We had to turn it off. We drove in standstill, bumper to bumper silence, unable to speak, especially not of you. Yet there you were, rattling under my tongue. Those three orange candies, tiny bullets, pills with a powdery zest that never really was tasteless, tasty, but just mindless, addictive in that high chemical way, not doing a damn thing to sweeten anyone's breath. I could not spit and could not swallow and helpless, let it dissolve in my mouth. <laughs>